0: on this episode of in the rack podcast nick and chad are really just mad at the current state of our healthcare industry clearly but if you look at most of the research on planet financial apathy and then you want to be evidence-based well you're not going to be very effective at it at all because we're not studying the right stuff right what we're doing is not working okay we need to understand that and then we need to say okay how can we make it better What's he? What's he? what you got,
1: he got a To in the Rack Podcast, where we provide you with a practical framework for breaking PRs in all facets of health and wellness. We are just a couple of bros giving you the simple hows in a world of complex wants. No filters, no scripts, no rules, just straight talk. Talk to Now, let's get into the rack with your hosts, Dr. Chad and Dr. Nick. All right. Welcome to another episode of In The Rack Podcast. I am your host, Chad, and with me is my co-host and fellow physical therapist, Nick. We have another great episode for you all today. We mentioned it a little bit last time. We are switching gears here a little bit. We're talking more about common diagnoses that we typically see and common diagnoses that you've probably either been diagnosed with yourself or you've heard of, and it's pretty common nowadays to see these Today, we're going to start with the good old diagnosis of plantar fasciitis, or mm-hmm. plantar fasciitis, if that's what we're actually calling it. I'm not going to spoil, I'm not going to give you a spoiler because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go through the episode today. But I am sure that most of you have either been diagnosed with this or know somebody that has been diagnosed with this. So we're going to talk a little bit about this plantar fasciitis and We're going to talk about how we treat it here and kind of how we go about figuring out if it's actually the fault of the plantar fascia, because in most cases, well, maybe all cases, it's not. So for example, like plantar fasciitis that you've all been diagnosed with, uh, if you've been treated with this or have seen somebody that's been treated with this, then you know that you've probably been or have been given a shit ton of calf stretches. And we know that this may be helpful at treating symptoms, but at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're actually taking care of the root cause of the problem. And let me just give you a hint. It's not because you got tight calves. All right. That could certainly be part of it but that affects other things. It's not just because of the tightness in the calves. And we're going to go over that today. So let us just let me give you a little hint and say everything in the body is connected. And we're going to kind of go through all of that today. Nick's going to talk a little bit about the structure of the plantar fascia. He's also going to talk about footwear because we can't have an episode not talk about <laughs> footwear um, because it is huge. And, and he'll talk about why that's so important. But let's kick it off, Nick. What the hell is plantar fasciitis? And is this actually what we should be calling?
0: All right. So let's, let's first get the terms right. So it's, it's dubbed plantar fasciitis, but itis means inflammation. And we've actually known for quite some time now, actually, since there was a big study done in 2003 that showed that there was actually no inflammation in biopsies of people that were diagnosed with plantar fasciitis. So there's no inflammation. There might be some at times but there's really no significant inflammatory process to speak of in that area. So the, the more appropriate name, which is catching on would be plantar fasciopathy, which would just mean a disease or disorder of, or plantar fasciosis, which would just be an abnormal state or condition of the tissue. So that, that just tells you we still don't know very much about it as a, as an industry, but like Chad just said, also the, that. Everything's connected in the body. That's exactly what fascia does is it connects the various parts of the body to each other. So you have, you know, the, the calf goes into the Achilles tendon and then that actually have, has a fluid connection underneath the bottom of the foot because of this plantar fascia. So it's, it's one fluid connection. So fascia is connecting various parts of the body. And when we think about that, the role of fa- fascia is to transmit force, right? So when we live on earth, we are dealing with gravity pushing down on us and the ground pushing back upward on us. And we have to deal with those forces all the time throughout the day, even if we're just standing there. So the fascial tissues in our body help us transmit that force from, you know, one muscle group to the next muscle group and tendons and all these other tissues, joints, you know, so things don't get overloaded, we can dissipate and disperse that force out. And that's exactly what the plantar fascia does. And that's the role of it. So it's this band of, of fibrous tissue underneath the foot goes from heel to the ball of your foot sometimes it gets a name uh, you know it's named a ligament sometimes it's it's what's called an aponeurosis nonetheless it's this fibrous tissue and it's it's really it's mainly um, type 1 collagen fibers which when we see those anywhere in the body those the purpose of those is largely to deal with tension okay not so much compression and when you think about that from the aspect of being on the bottom of the foot that means the planar fascia is dealing more so with this tension, this horizontal force, you know, forward and backward, as opposed to this up, down, vertical force, which would be from the ground. So immediately when someone's dealing with issues on their planar fascia, you can start to think, okay, they might have an issue dealing with this ground reaction force pushing up into the body. Okay, so that's that's a big thing that we need to always keep in the back of our head when we have someone dealing with, you know, planar fasciopathy. So the big thing is that it's dissipating force, but the plantar fascia also does some other things underneath the foot. It helps, you know, protect those underlying tissues. So you have, you know, four layers of, of small muscles in the bottom of the foot that it's got to protect. You got some important blood vessels, nerves, all that good stuff. So it's a little bit of protection as well. You know, it is some of the muscles in the, that foot do even attach to the plantar fascia. So it's a site for some, some muscle attachments as well. So that helps to maintain that, you know, tension relationship, or what's called by some people as a tensegrity system so our body's constantly in this you know spectrum of dealing with tension and compression so it helps to you know disperse those those stresses throughout the body so plantar fasciopathy um, just like most other orthopedic conditions super multifactorial so when you're dealing with anything that especially something like this where it's usually just progressive over time there's a lot of factors at play. It's not just one issue. And we always need to recognize that. So we need to kind of hone in on, on things that might play a role that we can control and worry about those. And then if there's something that we can't control, we don't worry about it. For example, if someone has was born with a certain foot structure that might be a factor in that, we're not going to change that. We're not going to send them to you know, surgery so they can now manipulate the structure of their joints to to influence that plantar fascia it just is what it is we need to kind of work around that and, and work with it as best we can so plantar plantar fasciopathy is um it's responsible for roughly like 1 million patient visits per year which that's not even accounting the people who just deal with it on their own so it's 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 a lot it's high and it's it's the most common cause of heel pain and There was, I I think most of the research says it's, it's affects 10% of the population at any point in their life. But that, I think that study was from the nineties. So it's probably much higher at this point, but we'll just say one in 10 people will deal with it. But then in runners, it's one in four. Okay. So much, much higher, you know, and, and this, like, like I just said, it's, it's probably going up. So we, we are doing things currently in our life, in our culture, our lifestyle that are playing a role that we might not be aware of that we need to consider. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I was just talking about a little bit on the, 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 the plantar fascia because it's type one collagen, meant to deal more with tension, more so than compression. Um, it's also largely water content. So that water is how it transmits the force. And if you think about someone who might be in this uh, or have this foot shape that is is chronically stretched in that plantar fascia, and now think about a sponge. If you stretch a sponge, it doesn't absorb water very well. Same thing with your plantar fascia. If it's chronically stretched, it doesn't absorb of water and blood very well. And then same thing if it's shortened or compressed, right? Same idea. You squeeze that sponge, it's not going to absorb water very well. So in thinking of that, that can start to guide your treatment a little bit in terms of trying to regain its ability to store that water and, and fluid so we can disperse that force throughout the body. All right. And then the plantar fascia also... You know, we we know through studies, biomechanical studies, that the tension is the highest at maximum pronation, so when the foot kind of flattens out for shock absorption, and then maximum supination, so when it creates that rigid lever to push off of off that back foot during walking. So if we know these things that its highest tension is at those points, well, we need to be able to move in and out of those because we don't want it to be at its highest tension all the time, and we constantly see people clinically that are kind of stuck in one or the other they might be stuck in this rigid supinated foot position and their plantar fascia is just under constant tension right that's not a good thing because again constant tension we're not getting you know that good water um you know resorption back into the tissue and then same idea if someone's super super flat and they just can't make that arch well they're they're still under that constant tension right so we need to be able to to move the foot in and out of these positions so we can create that that force distribution when we do get into that tense state and then relief, uh, relieve the tension so it gets a break. So that's a big thing for us here at ProFarm is looking at people's, not just their feet, but ankle, knee, hip. Can they move and dissociate these parts and then act together so they can now distribute force efficiently? Or are we getting a blockade somewhere where, say, someone's heel you know, their calcaneous bone, their the back of their foot doesn't move very well. So we're not getting that initial cascade of that shock absorption. So that's where the blockade is. And now all this tension just kind of getting stuck and jammed up in the plantar fascia. We see that that a ton. So that was a little little bit about what Chad was talking about, how the, the whole body kind of influences and, and plays a role with with each other. So we need to be able to have this this ebb and flow of tension where we're managing the tension by we we get maximum tension, we disperse it, and then we take a break, take some load off, all that kind of stuff. So before I get into the next piece, which is my, my big pet peeve with a lot of the research, you got anything else to add
1: to the biomechanical yeah, piece? I, of- I think you hit actually a lot of it pretty well. I'm not going to go into depth with it too much because it's... It's very complex in terms of how the body functions and determining where that limitation or dysfunction is happening. Um, and I think that's honestly the reason why it's so um, over, overly diagnosed because people don't actually know where it's coming from and they just like to blame what's easy. And it's easy to blame the plantar fascia because that's where the pain's coming from. I'll start with that. I mean, Nick, Nick hit it the nail on the head and, and uh, he said this ebb and flow, like you need, need to be able to absorb as well as need to be able to propel. And um, that's what we call load and explode. So if you're not able to load the tissue very well, then you're not going to be able to push off that tissue as well either. Um, and like Nick said, that you have to be able to tolerate both extremes of the stretch and the shortened position of that plantar fascia. And and if we don't get to those extremes, that's when we start to get some serious tension on the. Or if you're just hanging out in either one of those positions for long periods of time, that's where we tend to get issues. Let's just say, that if you have been treated for this, and this is like, totally new for you. And you're like, holy shit, why am I not like, why is somebody not working on my knee? Or why did not somebody not look at my hip? It's probably because they actually don't know how the body functions. And I'm just gonna be honest and say it. it's, it's complex. It is. Um, I mean, it it can take weeks and months for people to understand how the ankle and foot can actually react to the ground. I mean, I went through a 40 week mentorship for that. Nick went through a it was almost a year. So, I mean, it's it's um, it's not easy to understand. And when, and when you're trying to figure out how it actually works as the body's moving, it gets even more complicated because there's so many different scenarios the body can be in. There's so many different environments. And then Nick will talk about that soon. Um, but in terms of, of the plantar fascia, just knowing like where that plantar fascia is, is important. And Nick already kind of, touched based on that in terms of where it is on the bottom of the heel, but it's even more important to know where that is on the heel. And it actually resides mostly, it runs from like the medial side of the inside of the bottom of the heel, um, and then extends up the bottom of the foot to the toes, kind of like Nick was saying. So that that's super important. So when people are thinking about arches and, you know, or my, I have a flat foot or my arch collapse, you know, just know that You know, it might not be the plantar fascia's fault that's happening. Be like, oh, you need to strengthen up your plantar fascia. Like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. So, it's, there's a reason why that's happening. And that's okay if it happens. But is it controlled? You know, and that's the one thing that we like to look for. And where's the stress actually coming from? So, I think before you can actually, you know, understand how the plantar fascia is being affected, you actually have to know the biomechanics of the body. And again, we're not going to go into it like deeply. But just knowing that when the heel hits the ground, everything changes in the foot and then it works its way up the chain. Nick already kind of mentioned it really, really quickly in terms of when the when the actual heel hits the ground, that heel kind of, it, it's called eversion, where that heel kind of almost like pushes out sort of away from the body. And that just allows that foot to load better to the ground. Some people don't have that. Some people are very rigid, like Nick was saying, that they don't have the ability to do that. And what happens in that position? Well, that... That plantar fascia now can't load through that motion as this pronation or this foot flattens towards the ground because that's what's supposed to happen. And we have a nice joint down there; it's called the subtalar joint, and that's like pretty much in between the heel bone or the calcaneus and your talus, which is right underneath your tibia. So, if those can't move together in unison, then you've got a pretty rigid foot. And if you've got a rigid foot, just think about where all that tension is going. So again, it might not be the plantar fascia that's involved, but why are we getting this limitation? You know, and this limitation can happen, you know, on the same leg, it can happen on the opposite leg, it can happen in the hips, it can happen in the trunk, you know, and again, we don't have to go through all that. But for example, let's just say that, you know, you're like, well, I have tight calves, I have tight calves, and that's the reason why plantar fascia hurts. But why? Why? Like, is it because just because your calves are tight? No, it's because it's limiting motion in a certain direction called dorsiflexion which is super important um, in order to create this what we just called subtailor joint e version or getting this calcaneus down. And if we're not getting that motion, then we just create this super rigid foot. And again, it, it and that can be, who knows if it's from hip weakness and that hip's not able to control the foot as the foot hits the ground. Again, we're not going to go into detail about that. But I mean, if you're not looking at other areas of the body and finding out why this plantar fascia is getting so much tension that I think you're missing the boat it's super common that we see this and we're like man I can't believe nobody even saw that and then it goes the other way where somebody has knee pain nobody looked at the foot but you're like oh well we're talking about knee pain like oh well yeah I got plantar fasciitis too <laughs> shit <laughs> so yeah so I mean it's like a cascade effect like you were saying absolutely sure. and it goes it goes the other way too where um the
0: people may have a difficult time controlling at the hip you know above the foot so now the foot and and just think of it as the foot and the lower leg have to pick up the slack they have to do more work so now there's extra stress and strain on the plantar fascia and there's plenty of research out there to show us that people who have dealt with plantar fasciopathy actually have thicker fascia on imaging and we see that time and time again throughout the body you know jumpers have thicker patella tendons right because they're jumping more they're using that tendon more so now If we see thicker fascia on these images, that means these people are overloading that they're overusing that tissue, right? So it's, it's, it's the protective mechanism of the body. The body is doing that to kind of buffer up that tissue because we're using it so much. So. We need to figure out why it's overloaded. It may be overloaded because of up at the hips, you know, maybe poor control up there and maybe stiffness up at the hips where we're just moving below that point much, much more because of some, some stiffness, tightness, inability to move up top, you know, so it can be anywhere up and down that chain that, that could be, you know, a one or more of the culprits. It may not be one, you know, it could be that we need to get the foot moving a little bit more and the hip moving a little bit more. Um, and, and maybe even the tibia, you know, rotating a little bit more. Yeah. And I mean, some people could say,
1: oh, well, you know, but that hip on that same side is weak. Yeah. It may be weak, but why is it weak? You know? I mean, I could make a case for a limited thoracic extension exactly. I mean, because yeah. now we're not controlling the core or maybe the big toe doesn't extend very well on the other side because now we can't propel off the other side and create that nice, you know, supination as we're walking through. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's all connected, you know, maybe
0: they can't, maybe they can't even take a full exhalation and yeah, exactly. their, their rib cage isn't, isn't functioning optimally. So no, yeah. Um, but one more thing on the biomechanic piece before we, we go on to kind of the, you know, a little bit more meaty stuff. Um, this is meaty stuff, but the stuff that, you know, I, I feel very passionate about because we are attacking plantar fasciopathy the wrong way. I'll touch on this in a minute, but one more thing on the biomechanics. So Chad was talking about the, the calcaneus, the heel bone, you know, not moving if it doesn't evert when it hits the ground. Um, Another piece that goes with that is a lot of times clinically we see people who, whose foot moves all at once, right? And when that eversion in the, the back of the foot happens, the front of the foot needs to stay relatively stiff. So there's a relative motion there. So we can't have all of it moving at once because then it's all going in the same direction. So we need to have the back of the foot move a certain way while the front of the foot kind of stays stiff until it's ready to go. Till it's it's turn to move but what we see and i have my theories about why we see this is that the whole thing just moves all at once kind of like a you know like a boat rocking in 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 the water right the whole thing's rocking side to side same thing with the foot the foot needs to be able to you know dissociate between the front and the back even the middle a little bit too but the middle is kind of the, the the mediator between the two but if you if you have a situation where that person that chad was describing the the heel Like you said, it hits on the outside and then it rolls kind of towards the inside of the heel, but that makes the heel kind of look like it's pushing outward. If we, if we then have the front of the foot also do the same thing, what you'll see is that fifth toe, the outer part of the foot just pop right off the ground. And that's not good because we just lost a point of contact. We lost stability. We lost a point of contact for, um, you know, force distribution. And then same thing, the opposite person would, if their heel's not moving, it's kind of stuck on that outside of the heel. And they don't get to the inside that 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 first toe, that big toe. Same thing. We're we're just jamming up the tension in that plantar fascia. Okay. So that's another, you know, f- thing to consider for all the clinicians out there that are dealing with this this issue as it relates specifically to the foot.
1: Yeah, and it goes the other way too, like when you're unloading, right? Because that's when you're creating rigidity with push up and propulsion. Absolutely. And if we're not creating enough stability there, guess who takes the hit? Absolutely. of fascia.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let me get into my my big uh, my big pet peeve with most providers that are the ones, t- you know, who, who are in the front line of this plantar fasciopathy. And, and there's a lot of, um, you know, I don't want to nitpick or anything, but the the bulk of the research showing that those uh, visit patient visits per year that I mentioned that there's over a million. Most of those were reported as going to the PCP. Okay, so your your primary care physician. Nothing against PCPs, but they are primarily a generalist, right? Like, they're trying to catch red flags. And when it comes to the plantar fasciopathy, it wouldn't be considered a red flag, right? So what are they going to do? They're going to prescribe you pain meds. Um, You know, they're going to prescribe you probably anti-inflammatories. And that's where my big pet peeve comes in. So... Most states, you can go see a PT first. Just go straight to a PT. Hopefully, they know you know enough about plantar fat, the plantar fascia, and plantar fasciopathy in order to give you you know at least a good quality treatment plan. But the reason anti-inflammatories are are not good is because it's not an inflammatory issue. So there was this podiatrist named Harvey Lamont in two thousand three. He he performed a study. With his team, and they took biopsies of people that were diagnosed with severe plantar fasciitis, and the biopsy showed no inflammation at all. But what they did find was there there was necrotic tissue that was infiltrating the plantar fascia, and necrotic tissue is just dead tissue, and it's dead because it loses oxygen from blood flow. Okay, so this just means that the parts of the plantar fascia had died from lack of lack of blood flow. Okay, so now we have to. Peel this back and say, okay, why is there a lack of blood flow? All right. And before we get into the why, this is why I'm saying, if you go to the doctor and they say, oh, yeah, just take this anti-inflammatory, it's it's likely not going to help at all. You know, it might take some of the edge off. But it's likely not going to help because it's not an inflammatory issue. We need to figure out why we're getting a lack of blood flow to the plantar fascia. Yes, we know that it happens over time from micro tearing, all that kind of stuff. But the micro tearing never heals because we don't have quality blood flow to the area. Okay, so the, the, the way we're treating plantar fasciopathy in our current healthcare system is like you're trying to put out a fire and you take the bucket and you don't put any water in it. So you have an empty bucket and you're trying to put out a fire. It's just not going to work. Okay. So we're throwing anti-inflammatories at something that's not inflammatory. All right. So if your doctor prescribes you or anyone prescribes you, podiatrist, whatever it is, anti-inflammatories, it, you don't need to fill the script because it's just not going to help. You know, and that's not, that's, this isn't medical advice in any way, but I'm just telling you that it's not an inflammatory issue. So the anti-inflammatories just don't make any sense. Okay. Off my soapbox for a second. So let's, let's peel it back more and let's, Let's try to figure out, okay, what's going on here? Why are we losing blood flow to the plantar fascia? All right, so let's, let's, let's go into a little bit of the anatomy of the blood flow, the, the vessels. So in the ankle into the foot, you have your posterior tibial artery, and that's along the inner side of the, the ankle. And then it goes into the bottom of the foot and branches off into medial and lateral branches. Okay, these are the, the, the arteries that bring blood to the plantar fascia. Now these tissues can be compressed when the foot is in plantar flexion. So when it's pointed down, okay. When the ankles in plantar flexion and then the tissue, the vessels can also be stretched and torqued. So now when they're stretched, they're not, you know, letting that blood pass through very well when your big toe is what's called adducted. So push towards the other toes and, and it's extended. Okay. So, there was a study done two years ago, 2019. It was a pretty cool study. They just took one finger, the index finger of the, the researchers and took subjects and they pressed the big toe with an index finger towards the other toes. And it was enough to restrict the blood flow to the lateral plantar artery by 22.2%. So almost a quarter of the blood flow was, was reduced by just the, the pressure from one finger pushing that big toe over. Okay, now let's get into... What, do, what does modern footwear do, right? Modern footwear, most of has a positive heel. We've talked about this in past episodes, meaning there's a drop from heel to toe. The heel is elevated relative to the toes. That places your foot in plantar flexion, okay? So now we've compressed that artery to some extent. And then what else do we have? We have really, really narrow toe boxes, okay? The narrow toe box is going to press the big toe towards the other toes, all right? We've, we've just cut that blood flow another quarter. And then we also have this, this, weird thing uh, called the toe spring so now we have a curvature upwards of the front of the shoe and that causes the toes to be jammed up all right that's another torque on the, the blood vessels so we've just literally restricted the blood a substantial amount just from being in a shoe okay now if you're in that shoe for a short period of time probably not gonna be a problem if you're in that shoe for a long period of time yeah we can now see how that could have implications is it going to affect everybody in the same way Absolutely not. Everybody's different, but you can see how this can be a problem. And the reason we bring this up is because shoes need to be discussed when it comes to anybody dealing with plantar fasciopathy. It needs to be part of the treatment plan. You got to do your research if you don't know enough about shoes or refer to someone who does. And I'm not talking about necessarily referring to someone who's going to give an orthotic because a lot of times they'll just prescribe something that will have a, a rigid arch to offload the plantar fascia. And when we do that, we're now just causing more of a decrease in blood flow because now it's pressing up into the tissue causing that sponge to be squeezed we don't necessarily want to do that either okay and this is part of the reason plantar fasciopathy has about a 50% recurrence rate i think it's like 46 specifically but the recurrence rate is so high so half of people are literally going to get it it's going to come back now that tells us that we're doing something that, that in the treatment that we're not influencing, that's that's playing a huge role in that, and we think it, that shoes are a huge part of it. We don't think that shoes are necessarily the cause of the the full 46%, but we think they're a big factor, and they're a big modifiable factor. There's something you can easily change today, right now, to help in this. You know how this plantar fasciopathy is affecting you. So, like I said, the shoes are placing you in a bad position that's causing those blood vessels to be compressed, stretched, and torqued. So we're not getting adequate blood flow to the plantar fascia. So once we develop some of these, you know, micro tearing and and things like that from the tissue overworking, it's not healing appropriately. And it's becoming this, this snowball rolling down the hill. That's just gaining more snow, gaining more snow, right? It's becoming more and more of an issue as time goes on. So, influencing the footwear and it, that doesn't mean to say you should just throw all your shoes away right we've talked about this on podcasts in the, in the past all right so you can refer to those we're not going to get dive too too deep into this but basically we need to have a good plan going forward for okay can we get into better footwear is that possible for this individual does it coincide with their goals and can they do more things barefoot to promote blood flow to that tissue right? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. That That is how we are going to directly influence the plantar fascial tissue itself. And then with the treatment, when we're doing that, we also need to then, like Chad and I were just discussing, address the other issues, up the chain, down the chain, where whatever we, we may find and think that it might be playing a role, we need to then address that stuff. But very easy to just, at first, okay, let's get you on a a plan that involves better footwear so we're not just literally squeezing all the blood out of this plantar fascia all day and then let's give you you know some some routines at home so you can just be barefoot on different surfaces mobilize those joints mobilize that tissue get blood and water flowing to that tissue so it, it rehydrates essentially all right so that needs to be a, a huge huge and, and vital component of any treatment plan of
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I like the footwear and it's we see this all the time where people come in and, and we do a whole bunch of training with them with their shoes off and then they go and put their brooks or their hokas back on and leave. So when you're thinking about it, think about the footwear being an exercise on itself. And then eventually it becomes a part of your preventative maintenance because you're using your feet throughout the day. You're exposing your feet to these different environments and using the structures that are supposed to be used. Kind of like we talked about, you know, these, you should be exploring both ranges of the foot in terms of, you know, stretching and shortening that plantar fascia. And nine out of 10 people probably have some sort of an orthotic in their, uh, orthotic in their shoe that's restricting that motion. So what the hell do you think is going to happen? Yeah, that's a good way to treat the symptoms and a good way to say, oh, wow, I have no pain with my shoes are on. But every time I walk barefoot, my feet kill me. That's, that's your body trying to tell you something you know? Yeah. We're
0: creating more of a problem for sure. In the way we're attacking plantar fasciopathy as a, as a healthcare industry right now, for sure, without a doubt. And it, you know, it, we do that with a lot of things, especially orthopedic issues. We, we, we throw, you know, these treatment modalities at these symptoms for the short term, but plantar fasciopathy is a long-term issue. This was created over years, right? So, we're throwing these short-term solutions at long-term issues and that, that there's a mismatch. It's a huge mismatch and we need to take a step back. Yeah, just throw the short-term stuff in the short-term and say, be upfront about it. Be like, look, this is going to help with pain management, but in the long-term, this is what we need to do. These are our goals, you know, and be be as precise as you can. It's, it, it can be difficult, but be as precise as you can so the patient and the client know exactly what their expectations are. Okay, I'm trying to get to tolerating barefoot being able to tolerate barefoot maybe i'm trying to get to minimalist shoes and we love minimalist shoes um like chad said it's an exercise in and of itself there was a study to, i forget what the exact percentage was but um i think it was a study from vivo barefoot and they showed that i think it was eight weeks of minimalist footwear for greater than like 70 percent of your day or something it increased the, the strength of the intrinsic muscles of the foot so the small muscles of the foot by like 60 percent. and if you look at research on cross-sectional area and volume of the intrinsic muscles of the foot in people with plantar fasciitis it's substantially reduced so they even show that the the volume is reduced when someone has unilateral so plantar fasciopathy on one side that the volume is substantially reduced on that side in those small muscles compared to their other side as well as controls but that's pretty crazy that you have this big muscle discrepancy like we all know okay you get you get surgery on on your knee you see the quad atrophy, you can see it it it's very apparent to the eye because they're big muscles, but not very many people are aware of when they have atrophy of these small muscles that you can't really see. Right. So in the feet, you can see it. If you see enough feet, you can see it. But when, when you have a person who's got a substantial decrease or atrophy in, in one side versus the other in the, in the f- muscles of the foot, you know, it's pretty telling. And it's, it's, the research has been clear that that's a huge huge risk factor for for developing plantar fasciopathy because it makes sense if the muscles are smaller they're weaker now the muscles aren't doing their job now the plantar fascia has got to pick up the load so the plantar fascia gets overloaded then over time we we decrease this blood flow then they go to a provider okay try this orthotic get this really cushiony shoe And now we're just precipitating the issue over and over and over and then that becomes the person who can't go barefoot in the house anymore and we act in our society like this is normal that people at some point in their life, oh, you just gotta wear shoes all the time now. That's just how it is. It's like, we just act like that's normal. That's not normal. Like our, our feet were were made to function barefoot. And yes, I know the argument, people always throw it out at us all the time in here, pretty much daily. Yeah, but what about man-made surfaces? I get it. I'm not saying don't wear shoes ever. You do need shoes at times because of man-made surfaces. Um, even stuff like if, you know, Especially in the northeast, there's construction going on all the time. There's nails, there's 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 screws all over the ground. There's stuff that can can pierce your skin. Yes. You know, get it get a good pair of shoes. Ideally something that's more minimalist, so your foot can do more of the work. But the the shoes need to be more of the story, the shoes need to be a big, big component of said treatment plan,
1: for sure. Absolutely. I agree. And for all of you that are listening to this. And if you are a therapist or a medical provider of some sort that works with feet and this is not in your treatment plan, you need to change that because you're doing your patient a disservice because you're giving them all this great information and you're missing the boat on the other 23 hours they're not seeing you during the day. Or, you know, you you can add more because they're not seeing you multiple times per week. So think about all the other stuff they could be doing throughout the day while you're not there giving them these exercises. They need to be using their feet and you
0: could you could find a study to support every anything and there is actually there's actually research that they've done on the american population to see how many people are actually wearing what are referred to as ill fitting or poor fitting shoes so basically shoes that aren't shaped like your feet essentially which is what natural footwear is it's just shaped like a foot um and i think it's like as high as like 88 of women are wearing like poor fitting shoes so if that number's that high Plantar fascial is not going anywhere, and plantar fashion apathy is only increasing in the forty to sixty-year-old female eight, like age group. So, I mean, that's it, they they go hand in hand right there. Like we lay those graphs over each other, they're the same, right? So we're wearing poor-fitting shoes, and then plantar fashion is on the rise. It it only makes sense that they're connected. You know, it's not the sole cause, pun intended. It's not the only cause. Like I said, it's multifactorial. Um, but it needs to be addressed and. Like I said before, if you don't feel comfortable educating someone on their footwear, find someone who does or go educate yourself on how to do it um, or, or at least to do it to some extent because it's super, super important. It's going to not only help their plantar fascia, but it's going to help other things as well, all the way up to back pain and stuff like that. So it can it can make a huge difference for sure, but it has to be progressive in nature. You can't just dive right into it. Um, there, there needs to be a, a graded exposure, just like everything else. And, you know, we can always refer to our
1: old podcast on that because we did dive pretty deep into that stuff. Yeah. And, and don't think it's a hard sell for patients either. Like you're not selling them snake oil, you know, it's, it's for real. And I can't tell you what, how many patients do you think are the percentage of patients that actually come in? and they're wearing footwear that we recommended within the first week. Yeah, because they know it helps literally almost all of all you would <laughs> think that we were making money off off giving people shoes but we don't. We make But hey money. Ultra if you uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to get a hold of you Ultra but you ain't returning my phone calls. So listen to this. Vivo's on board but you're not on board. We'll get you. So let's let's dive
0: into a little bit more. I know I've kind of um you know beat this into the ground a little bit but we're as a healthcare industry, not very good at, at treating plantar fasciopathy. We know that, but we're also not very good at researching it. So I wanted to touch upon this because it is super, super frustrating to see, oh yeah, new plantar fasciopathy research came out. Oh, we're studying cortisone injections again, right? So <laughs> there was a big systematic review in 2018, I think a couple of years ago. So um, they were like, all right, we don't have a best treatment plan for plantar fasciopathy let's, let's figure out what it is. So let's get all the research together. So they do it and they were destined to figure out what the most effective treatment is. So they went and they studied four different things and they studied, um, I think it was, it was cortisone injections, prolotherapy. So basically just injecting an irritant in there to create the body's like have the body heal it itself. Um, PRP, so plasma, uh, protein um or platelet response injections and then the extracorporeal shockwave therapy which i would argue you know i get it like you're trying to help the tissue itself heal but then once healed what are we going to do from there right we can't get like these things can be helpful but we're studying them as if they're the end-all be-all like that's the 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 finish line like no it's not that that's helping the plantar fascia heal in the moment Potentially, we still don't even know. But then what are we going to do to make sure this doesn't come back? Because like I said before, high recurrence rate. So we're studying these things and we're just kind of going in this circle. Like, what's the best? Let's compare this to that and this to that. But we're still just throwing the short-term solution at it. Like, we need to start studying the long-term stuff, like the footwear stuff. Like, we do study some exercises, but like I was saying, a lot of, it, a lot of it's studying that, like calf stretches, which... Yes, can be helpful and maybe necessary for, you know, a majority of these people where yeah, the, the calf is tight because it's, it's kind of fluid connection to the plantar fascia. So if the plantar fascia is overly, overly tight. Yeah. The calf's probably tight too,
1: right? Like it's one connection. For all of you that are out there and you're doing, all right, I'm just going to call it out right now because I've seen this a million times. I've been around the block. Listen, if you're there doing calf stretches, if you're doing towel scrunches, if you're doing golf ball massage, lacrosse ball massage, if you're doing, uh, what's the other popular one? Oh, maybe heel raises. I'm sure that's thrown in there somewhere. You're missing the boat. Like you, you need to go see somebody else or address it with your professional and say, "Hey, listen, why am I not yeah. addressing my hip or my knee? Is is it really just coming from here? What are we trying to do here? Are We just trying to strengthen up the plan of fascia because if that's the goal, that's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, and that's not to say those things aren't shouldn't be part of it. Correct. I, I would. I mean, I implement a lot of those things, but they're they're the early on stuff. And then once We're good with that. It's like we're moving on, right? And then we might still use a calf raise in in a different sense. But now maybe we're doing, you know, like a lunge to a calf raise where it's more consistent with gait. you know, or like a step up with a cat, you know, so now we're, we're piling it on other stuff, making it, making it more functional. But if you go and it's just over and over the same thing, okay, let's stretch your calf or first let's get on the bike to warm up. Then let's stretch the calf. Then let's do the calf raise. Then, you know, you're, you're still at this, at this dead end, right? Like we're not, everyone thinks that's the finish line, but it's not right. Like we do have to strengthen up the foot intrinsic muscles. Great. Okay. Let's do that. Once we can do it. Cool. You know, we do have to stretch out some of the tissues and, and do some manual therapy on the tissues. Great, let's do it. Once we loosen those up, let's let's use that now, and you know that that's a good segue into because we well, let, want... let me just
1: say something really quick yeah, because you you talked about the research and it's and to me it's like super discouraging as a profession that we tried to find the best way to treat this and we still don't have an idea as a profession because we're just treating it passively. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of discouraging, yeah. you know. And I think it's stuff like this that people need to hear because there are other things that we can be doing other than um, passive treatments to treat uh, plantar fasciitis. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to call it that yeah. anymore because that's not And what it and is, so. it, this is the, this is the problem too with evidence-based
0: practice, right? Like we do need to respect evidence and I bring up a lot of evidence, but I I bring up a lot of evidence one, because you know there's always going to be people being like, oh, well, where's the research for it? So here you go. There's the research. All right. And then two, I do like to find something to back that up. But if you look at most of the research on plantar fasciopathy, apathy and then you want to be evidence-based, well, you're not going to be very effective at it at all because we're not studying the right stuff, That's right? Like, like we are – what we're doing is not working, okay? We need to understand that, and then we need to say, okay, how can we make it better? And the reality of it is there's lifestyle factors at play, And we need to use common sense when it comes to those because you can try to study those. It's going to be kind of hard, right? But use common sense. We know from the biopsy, you know, stuff that that plantar fasciitis is a blood flow issue. Okay, let's peel it back. Why is there a blood flow issue? Okay, what could be influencing that? Oh, look at this shoe. Look how it's structured. Look how it places the foot in this position. Look how now the blood flow is restricted. All right, so that's just using a little bit of common sense. We don't need a study to tell us that. And even if you, here's the cool part about this, you know, this specific using the footwear as as a um a treatment modality. If it doesn't work, what did we do? Did we harm them? No. Right. But now we're going and doing cortisone injections. Hey, you can only get three of these in the year because otherwise we run the risk of an Achilles rupture if we do too many. It's like, what? How about we just change shoes? You're gradually change shoes and we we don't run that risk as high. It's like, yeah, there's probably always a risk, but like, I mean, the risk is way lower if we're changing footwear, right? So, it's 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 just silly to to kind of take that whole oh I'm I'm all evidence based until there's evidence I'm not doing it. It's like all right, cool, you can sit there and wait. It's like, but I'm I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna use my brain
1: and say, oh well, the foot kind of looks like it should be like this, and the shoe's doing this. All right, let's try to get it the other way. And yeah, and I mean, I could play the devil's advocate and say, how many people out there do you think don't want it to change? Cause now they're losing money on footwear or they're losing money on orthotics that they're selling all the I time. Know. Like you got to think of the pol- political side of it. It sucks, you know, and that's just what it is, but it's things like this that inform you and say, I don't really feel like paying $400 this month on orth- orthotics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I'll yeah. just buy that hundred dollar pair of shoes and it'll last longer and it'll be more beneficial. For yeah.
0: You. I mean, we could talk about that with something else that's going on currently, but we yeah. won't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, Let's, let's get into just so people listening can, you know, okay, what can I take away from this? Nick and Chad are really just mad at the current state of our healthcare industry, clearly. But what can we do if you are someone out there dealing with plantar fasciopathy currently or have dealt with it in the past, or you're a clinician, and you're like, I want to get better at this. All right. So if we're talking quality treatment for plantar fasciopathy, number one, I mean, we've got to have education, right? So the, fo- the shoes, the footwear, that all goes into that. Um, you know, even how we're moving, how the individuals moving, absorbing shock, all that kind of stuff. So we got to educate. We got to make sure they understand the education because don't forget a lot of times you may say something and it sounds really good in your brain when you hear it, but the person listening did not, did not take it in. They didn't, they didn't absorb it. So make sure they understand it, have them teach it back to you, whatever you got to do. All right. After education, all right. Yeah, we need to exercise. We need to do some exercises to strengthen muscles. You know, start early. If we're talking about, like I said before, smaller volume of the intrinsic muscles. Yeah, it's a good place to start. But then once they can, you know, do a good short foot, right? They can engage that arch. Well, now we need to move on, right? We can't just keep have them doing short, short foot for the rest of their life, you know, in place. Let's, let's now have them use that short foot in, in a, in a deadlift, right? Or in a lunge, in something, some kind of movement, functional movement that they're up and moving and using their body more dynamic. So now if, if we're just doing short foot in the same place all the time, that's probably not going to translate very much at all, unless they're just standing in the line at the grocery store. (laughs) Right. So we want to address that, right. We got to address the bigger muscles. We talked about the hips earlier. We got to address those. Let's address some of these patterns, right? So we have, you know, all these, these slings and, and fascial connections in the body. We can address those, right. So we can influence it as a full kinetic chain, right? So we're doing exercises that will be progressive, just like the shoes. And we're, we're moving them along as they can tolerate it. You know, in, in, in conjunction with that goes the movement optimization. So we, we want to optimize their movement, everybody's going to be different, everyone's going to have slightly different, you know, mechanics to an extent. But if we notice that they're calcaneous, their heels not moving at all, whenever they do anything, we got to get that thing moving, right? So we got to optimize that movement there. Same thing with the you know, they're, they're all jammed up in the forefoot or the midfoot we got to get that moving too, right? So that if that's causing that force to be, you know, not dissipated quite as well. And the plantar fascia is taking the brunt of it. We need to help it out, right? And then we can talk about some of the other stuff that, that is adjunct. The, the manual therapy can be great. We can decrease some of that tension that someone can can use, you know, self techniques like lacrosse ball rolling that's going to help get blood flow to the tissue. And those are all the, the symptom management, the stuff that's great in the short term, but then that's the the long-term stuff is optimizing the movement and the education and the exercise, you know, that that short-term stuff just helps us open that window of opportunity so they can do all the movement stuff with a little less discomfort, a little less pain, and then that will drive it home a little bit better. Anything to add there, Chad, to, the, to some quality treatment?
1: No, I think you nailed it, man. I think you nailed it. I think, and, and I think like you said, you know, uh, whoever's treating this should also understand how the body functions as well. So you know where to start. Um, but I think all those pieces are s- super vital in terms of getting the patient to understand what the goal is, as well as you to understand what the goal is. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Uh, any, anything else to add to plantar fasciitis?
0: <laughs> <up>? <laughs> um, not really I have some it, other other thoughts on on the biomechanics piece but we won't dive into
1: that yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's we could save that for another podcast yeah, it's it's, it's a lot, too complex yeah. and quite honestly like if if you don't know what it is then you need to invest in your own uh skills and figure out what that is you know or we're happy we're happy to explain it better if any of you guys have any questions you want to reach out feel free to reach out and there's
0: still things we're learning every
1: day like
0: we're not saying this as, as you know we know it all about plant fasciopathy. there's still things we're learning and you know, that's the nice thing about keeping an open mind with it is you may get someone in that you're like, oh, they got, yeah, classic plantar fasciopathy. I know exactly where I'm going to go with this. And then they don't respond like the previous 10 people did, right? Because everybody's different. Everyone's got their, their, you know, their, their own injury history, their own uh, movement mechanics, their own movement preferences, all this kind of stuff. So you got to take all that stuff into consideration. Even we could even dive into, you know, their, their home stresses, their work stress, like that stuff matters too. So everybody's different. So people aren't going to respond the same. So you got to be able to, to adjust on the fly, change stuff up. Maybe someone's not responding as well to the, the mobilizations of the, the heel bone, the calcaneus. So maybe we do have to influence the, the forefoot and the midfoot a little bit more, or maybe we got to go up at the hip to drive, uh, drive the foot. Right. So you just got, sometimes got to play around with stuff and that's where we mentioned a couple of times about this, that like clinically we're seeing this because we played around with it ourselves, right? We don't necessarily have the study to back that up, but we played around with it and it worked.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Um, all right. So that pretty much sums it up for plantar fasciitis. I keep on saying that even though I know it's plantar fasciopathy. Fasciosis <laughs> I
0: think fasciitis. it's funny.
1: We'll call it whatever. Yeah. Um, anyways. So just what call do it we PF. Yeah, we'll just call it PF. That's true. All right, so we've got another interesting episode coming up next week. We actually have another guest speaker. This guy's the man. We, he's been here before. Who do we got coming next week? We got Matt Ibrahim. He is a strength and conditioning coach from the Boston area.
0: He helped open a gym down in Salem, Mass a couple of years ago. Now he's, he's kind of on his own doing his own thing, but he's, he's a um, super motivated and energetic uh teacher instructor so he's getting more into that side of things so he's on the rise as in you know as a teacher in this field in the the the, you know the the strength conditioning world and he's teaching you know at endicott college as well in in that program but he's he's trying to take his stuff on the road too and do some some lecturing and stuff like that and when you watch him or listen to him speak or listen to one of his lectures it is one of the most fun lectures to be a part of because he's he's just so animated um so hopefully you'll be able to feel his animation through the microphone on the podcast next week because I know we'll be having some fun with him here in the rack.
1: For sure, man. He's, he's going to have so much energy. I can't wait. Uh, you, it's going to be a great conversation for sure. He's, he's very intelligent, so I hope uh, I can keep up with him. All right, so moral of the story, if you think you have an issue at your plantar fascia, then make sure you're seeing someone that not only understands how the body functions, but also focuses on treating the cause of the pain and not the site of pain. That person just straight lost, especially if you're performing only passive modalities. Oh, and don't be a statistic get yourself some natural footwear. <laughs> Thank you for joining us in The Rack this week. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. You can also find us online at proformptma.com or on social media at proformptma. And remember, if you train inside The Rack, you better be thinking outside The Rack.